thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Well, hi everyone. It's so good to connect with you uh, this morning. My, my name is Leon, the lead pastor here at Life Central Church. Big shout out to all of you in the room. So glad there's so many of you here. And for those of you watching online, you're really welcome as well. A special shout out to all of our guys down in Hagley. Give me a wave. Yep, there's two of you that did it. I could see. Ooh, that's a bit scary. And for anyone else, wherever you're watching, you're really, really welcome. In fact, we'd love you to put in the chat where you are watching from, whether you're from our location in Rowley or our microsites in Bromsgrove or in Clibber in Baltimore or for anywhere else on the planet. We are so grateful that you could connect with us today. And uh, this is week three of our series uh, called Reset. And we're looking not just at a soft reset, not just switching off and switching back on again, but a hard reset where we're asking God to help us to reset our lives to the original settings. And we've been looking at these three big words, faith, hope and love. And we looked a little bit at love over the next couple of weeks. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that I didn't know about love when I was a kid. And uh, in fact, I love these. They're old now, okay? But I love these these little quotes like Floyd, age nine. Floyd says this, love is foolish, but I might try it sometime. So I reckon, Floyd, when you're older than nine, you probably will. Ava, age eight. And this is old, okay, so you can tell by this. Ava, age eight, says, one of you should know how to write a cheque because even if you have tons of love, there are going to be a lot of bills. Isn't that the truth? We all know that's true. And then Mark, age six, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> think, just looking at my wife over there anyway. Uh, Elaine, uh, age five, love, this is truth. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Come on, that's real love. But you know, we're not going to be talking about romantic love today. We're going to be talking about a whole different kind of love. And we're looking at where a guy called Paul, who's one of the writers in the New Testament. And if you're not a person of faith, okay, please hang with us. This is so important that you get this today. And if you are a person of faith, I'm hoping and praying that God's going to give you some new understanding of this today as He has with me. And we've been looking at these three big ideas that Paul talks about, faith, hope and love. And he writes these in 1 Corinthians 13, which is a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth. And uh, faith we looked at in week one and hope we looked at last week, but we're going to stay a little longer in love because Paul says that there's faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And as well as deep, uh, deep dive into 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to be drawing a few thoughts from this book. I know Laura mentioned this book a few months ago called Gentle and Lowly uh, by a guy called Dane Ortland. It's one of the many, many books that I read over the summer. It does need a lot of reading. It's a great book. I know that it's one of those books that I've read it and I need to go and read it again and digest it as well. But he says in this book, and listen to this quote, the world is starving for a yearning love. A love that remembers instead of forsakes. A love that isn't tied to our loveliness. A love that gets down underneath our messiness. A love that is bigger than the enveloping darkness we might be walking through. A love of which the very best human romance is the faintest whisper. And I know, because I'm pastor here, that there are many, many people in our church community and in our wider community and life is tough right now. In fact, I was just chatting to a few people before the service about some really sad situations, not only that we're walking through this week, but some horrendous situations that I've heard of last week affecting people that I know really well. And I know that actually 
And actually, my wife Alison was talking about this this morning. It's almost like coming out of COVID and we're not fully out of that. It's a little bit like coming out of a war experience in the sense that there's trauma around. And life is tough right now for many of us. And I know maybe for you watching or you in the room here, life is so tough and it feels like an enveloping darkness around you. But there is hope and there is love of another kind that we can experience and so I don't want to gloss over anything that you're going through right now, okay, when I talk about this. And I'm hoping that by God's Spirit, He connects the truth of this into your situation today. I don't think that we really understand love. I don't think we get it, not as a kid and not as an adult. And so what I've called this is what we never knew about love. And it's not going to be about romantic love, but it's something much bigger and broader than that. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, you see, what, what we, when we look at the Bible, it's split into chapters, but it wasn't split into chapters when it was written. So at the end of chapter 12, Paul's writing and he says this, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. In fact, some translations say, now let me show you the most excellent way or let me show you a superior way. So for 12 chapters, he's been talking and talking and then it's almost like he just says, let me just show you, like, like, let's just paint a different picture. And then we turn over the page into 1 Corinthians 13, but Paul just keeps writing. And what he writes is at the start of 1 Corinthians 13, he basically shocks his audience, okay? He uses this a technique of shocking the audience at Corinth. And I'm gonna show you the four shocks that he uses. So let's look at the first verse. If I could speak, Paul says, all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And shock number one, Paul says this, love sounds better to God's ears than all your fancy words. Now, what we don't understand is that when Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, he's basically talking into a group of people who loved language. The Corinthians loved language and they loved this whole idea of speaking in the tongues of angels. Now, we're Pentecostal Christians, so we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. So I believe in speaking in tongues. And if you think, what on earth is that? It's basically a, a, a heavenly language that God gives us as a way of communicating with God. I would speak in tongues most days of my life, okay? But usually I would use it in the context of my own personal relationship with Jesus. But what was happening in the Corinthian church, scholars believe, is that people were so obsessed with all of these supernatural gifts that they even had speaking in tongues competitions, like to see who could like do the fanciest. And they were so impressed with language and with oratory that they'd have preaching competitions, almost like a preach idol. You know, like we get this preacher up against this preacher and Paul knows that and he's speaking, he's saying, you can do all that if you don't love to God's ears. It's annoying, it's frustrating. It's like a gong, it's like a, a loud crashing cymbal and he's shocking the audience with this. And then he goes on in the next verse and he says this, if I had the gift of prophecy, oh, we all wanna prophesy. And if I understood all of God's secret plans, it's why Christians are so obsessed with conspiracy theories at the moment. And I have to be careful I don't go off script on this one, all right? Otherwise I might not be speaking very lovingly. It's because we get obsessed by all the secret things and possess all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. Two big shocks here. He says this, you can know it all, but without love, it's empty and hollow. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how, how you prophesy, how you discern, how intellectual you are. If you don't have love, it's nothing. And then another shock, growing in love, he says, is preferable to demonstrating power. Can you imagine that? If you had faith that could move mountains, but didn't love, it's nothing. 
So don't think it's about demonstrating power. Think about, is my life growing in love? This is what Paul is saying. Then then the fourth shock is this. Um, If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul says, listen, you can give all your money. You can give all your time. You can even give your life. But if you don't love, it means nothing. And I think what Paul would say is, you know what? Sometimes it can be easier to die once than it is to die daily. Because that's actually what love requires. For you and I to die daily to ourselves so that we could love Him and we could love others as He loves us. You know, the issue with love, I think, one of the challenges is that we who speak English, okay, if that's our first language, I know it might not be your first language. We only have one word for love and we use it for everything. So for me, I I love my wife and I love my football team, especially because they won yesterday. So I love the villa and I really love crisps. Anyone love crisps? Oh my gosh, that is my weakness. Late at night, big packets of crisps. Oh, I love crisps and I love movies. So I love my wife. I love the villa. I love crisps and I love movies but I don't love them all the same. Like I don't attach the same level of meaning to each one because obviously top of that list is the villa. No, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's crisp. No, it's not crisp, it's my wife, okay? And so we use one word and it covers all these different things. But in Greek, which is the language that most of the New Testament was written in, they had about eight words for love that we know of. Let me show you seven of them. Eros is the Greek word for sexual passion. That's where we get the word erotic from. Philia is deep friendship love, so important. Ludus is playful love. Pragma is a long-standing love. Philatia is love of the self, okay? Storge is family love, familial love. Mania, where we get the word maniac from, is kind of a madness, it's an obsessive love. And these are seven words of love in Greek. But of course, there's an eighth word, and this is the word that Paul uses when he says, and the greatest of these is none of those seven words, but it's this word, agape. And this is the word used to describe God's love. And this is the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, this is how you should should love one another. Not in those other words, but in this love. And it's very hard to translate. We know it's sacrificial. We know it's selfless. We know it's unconditional, but it's way, way, way more than that. And we're gonna dive deep into it over the next couple of weeks. But to fully grasp what Paul is saying, I'm gonna do a little bit of Jewish history with you guys, okay, today. And I'm gonna introduce two characters from history and they're these guys, Hillel and Shammai. I'm not sure they look like that, who knows? That's an artistic uh, drawing. But these two guys were rabbis who around the time of Jesus, actually before Jesus, but rabbis were a big deal in Jewish culture because a rabbi was someone who, who looked at the law of God, okay, the Talmud and all of the different law of God, and they interpreted it. And their interpretations of the law were called a yoke, which is why when Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me and I'm gonna give you a yoke and your yoke is easy. It's really important. We don't just think about oxen, but we think about rabbis. So there's a set of interpretations of how you see the law of God and how you relate to God. And these two guys, Hillel and Shammai, were the big deal, okay? They basically developed these two different sets of interpretations and Jesus came into this kind of context. Now, Shammai was the one who actually was more based, his yoke was more based on obedience, so, so, so you please God by being obedient and by fulfilling all the laws. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. I don't really think I'm criticising either of these. But the weighting of his emphasis was on keeping all the rules and doing all the stuff. 
But then Hillel came along and actually his yoke was based not on obedience, but on love. But then here's the thing. When Jesus came along, he, he sided much more with Hillel, okay, as love, but he even pushed it beyond where Hillel took it as well. So let me give you an example. The story of the Good Samaritan, which is a story some of you will know, maybe you remember it from Sunday school days or from RE lessons. You know, this Jewish guy is on the road um, and, he's, and he's attacked and he's left for dead. And, and, someone's, and what someone already has just said to Jesus, who's my neighbour? And Jesus tells the story of this Jewish guy that's attacked and left for dead. And then a priest and a Levi, they go past him. And then a Samaritan man. And Samaritans were like, oh, we hate you. Like Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They were the one group of people in society that a Jewish person would have nothing to do with. So it's like, just imagine like the people that you think, oh, don't put me near someone like that. Do you know what I mean? Don't put me in the same room as someone like that. That's the Samaritan to the Jew. Now, when that guy asked the question, who's my neighbour? Whom do I have to extend love to? Shammai people, they would say, well, it's just the Jew because he's your fellow Jew. Not even the Roman because the Roman's your enemy. But Hillel would say, yes, extend love to, to the Jew as your fellow Jew. But actually the Roman who's your enemy, you need to love him as well. <gasps> Shocking. But then Jesus comes along and says, yes, of course, it's the Jew. He's your fellow Jew. And it's the Roman. He's your enemy. And it's the Samaritan who you hate that you have to love. At that point, this happens and their heads blow off. It's like literally, like Jesus is saying, you know, listen, you don't just have to love your enemy. You have to go even beyond that. This is shocking. This is what we never knew about love. And you see, we think when it comes to love that there are lots of rules, but actually Jesus came along and now guys, if you can get this and you can't get it just through my word. You can only get this as you're open right now to the Holy Spirit. And whether you're watching in the room or whether you're watching online or, or whether you're watching it later, just say to God, God, would you teach me? Because you may have been a Christian for years and years and still not get this. There's only one rule. There's only one thing. And you might think, oh, you're talking about the golden rule. It says in Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus says, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So we know that many cultures have this uh, version of this kind of rule, golden rule. Many people in business know this. Treat others as you would want them to treat you. Golden rule. That's not it. You see, Jesus then goes on to upgrade the golden rule to what I want to call the platinum rule. Like the only rule that there is. He's upgraded it to something else. And in John 13, verse 34, it says this. And guys, if you don't know anything else and you don't take anything else from today, please take this. A new command I give you. Say new. new. Online, say new. No, you're not going to do it. A new command I give you. Love one another. That's okay. Here it comes. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, the golden rule says you treat someone else like you want them to treat you. The platinum rule says you love someone else like God has loved you. So the same mercy and forgiveness and grace and kindness and compassion and long-suffering and gentleness and tenderness and mercy that God has put on you, that's how you're to love others, even those you hate. It's mind-blowing. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Wow. It's like a new command. Jesus said it, a new command. Love one another. Clearly, this is not a feeling. 
This kind of love is not a feeling. This is a verb. This is a doing. This is an action. As I have loved you, that's the same kind of love. And he uses the this, which is a demonstrative pronoun, if you remember your English language background. And it's not demonstrative pronoun. It's like, this is the evidence of that. So, so here's, here's what Jesus says. Listen, people are going to know that you're my disciples, not by how great you speak, not by how fancy your buildings are, not by how great your music is, not by all your, your fantastic events, not by any of that, but by how you love people. That's what we need a reset of, isn't it? It's what I need a reset of. It's what you need a reset of. It's what our world needs a reset of, isn't it? We, we have so much hatred and so much division and so much, you know, um, a, a breakdown between people. Uh, in families and in communities and in nations. And somehow we need God to help us to have a reset when it comes to agape love. You see, most religions and worldviews centre around obedience and around rules and around stuff that you do. But Jesus centres his whole way around one thing and it's love. It's a little bit like this. It's a bit like when I was getting ready to come out this morning and the reason, like I said, that I keep my shirts open at the moment is nothing to do with fashion, but it's all to do with lockdown weight. Anyway, I'm moving on. But if I, if I get in, in, in a rush and I undo, do the buttons up and all of a sudden I get to the end, have you ever done that? And it's like, oh, it looks terrible. Why? Because I didn't get the top button right. And Jesus says, love is a top button principle in my kingdom. You get love right and everything else follows. You don't get love right, everything else is a mess. And so I want to invite you and encourage you today to ask God, do I need a reset somewhere when it comes to love? Do I need a reset when it comes to love? And to ask this question, and this is a great question, what does love require of me? That question right there could change the world, couldn't it? What does love require of me? When it comes to that neighbour that's doing your head in, when it comes to that family member that's trying your patience, when it comes to that work colleague, when it comes to the person across the street that you don't want to talk to, when it comes to those people in society that you don't want to be anywhere near, what does love require of me? See, over the next few weeks, we're going to open this up. We're going to do a deeper dive into the rest of 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go through it word by word and line by line and look at what it looks like when we live love out. But before we do that, we need to pause, guys, and we need to say, if I am to love as I have been loved, what does that look like? Because I wonder coming out of this COVID situation whether many of us have lost sight of just how much God loves us, what God thinks about us, what God thinks about you, what God feels about you, what God is thinking about when He thinks about you, when God sees you, what does He see? You see, I, I passionately believe this. We will struggle to love effectively unless we are being loved extravagantly. And I want to suggest that God's love to me and to you is an extravagant love. And if we could live daily in that sense of being loved by an extravagant God, it's going to help us to love others as we have been loved. You know, placement is really important. Okay, now we're online. We think often about, you know, where do we put different things? And this worship band in a church didn't think about it when the worship guy sat down behind the preacher because that's not great placement, if you can see that there, okay? It's really not great. They just didn't think about that at all before they did that. But here's something else a little bit shocking when it comes to product placement, two books. God is not mad at you. He's just not that into you. When you read that as a message... It doesn't kind of read right, does it? But you know, I want to say to you guys, whether you're here in the room, whether you're online, 
Many of us think God is mad at us. And many of us think he's not into us. Many of us think God loves us because he has to, not because he wants to. Many of us think that God is still mad at us. And actually, when we come to understanding the love of God, many of us struggle just to receive it because of all these different kind of thoughts we've got in our head. I heard it once described like this as kind of daisy petal Christianity. If you ever remember that really old thing where, where in, in love, you know, they used to be like, he loves me, he loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. And many of us, uh, uh, we, we think of faith like that. We think of the love of God like that. You know, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. I got the job. It means he loves me. I lost my job. It means he loves me not. You know, I've got the relationship. It means he loved me. I've lost the relationship. It means he loves me not. I've got the answer to my prayer. It means he loves me. My child is still sick. That means he loves me not. And our faith and our response and our love to God is based on a fragile sense of whether, however it goes, determines whether God loves me or loves me not. I heard it described many years ago in a book I read as the tyranny of the favour line as well, this invisible line where we think that, that there's this invisible line and if we hit it, then God loves us. And if we don't, we're just kind of under. It reminds me of this story of this 15-year-old girl that goes to youth group at her church and she comes back and mum and dad say to her, how did it go tonight? What did you learn? And she says, it's oh, same old, same old. God is good, you are bad, try harder. So she says, that's, that's, that's the image. That's the, the placement that's in her head. It's like, God is good, I'm bad, try harder. That's nothing to do with the love that God has for us. We need a reset of love. And in the next few minutes that I've got, I wanna give you guys just six things that are on my heart that I just, I'm gonna say in there, simple. You'll think, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. And I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will take these really simple words and somehow bring them as revelation into your heart. Number one, God is for you. God is for you. You see, many of you, ah, he's not. No, he's not. No, he really is. At the core of us, we think God is mad at us. But actually, he's not. He's absolutely for us. And this book is a brilliant book. Open this whole thing up. Listen to some of the stuff he says in the book. And if the actions of Jesus are reflective of who he most deeply is, who God most deeply is, we cannot avoid the conclusion that it is the very fallenness he came to undo that is most irresistibly attractive to him. See, we often think that our sin and our mess and our brokenness is what repels God. But actually in one sense, he argues, it's the kind of thing that attracts us because he loves to restore us. He loves to redeem us. He loves to take us. He just loves us. He's for us, even in our mess. He is angrier than you could ever be about the wrong that's been done to you. You know, the wrong that's been done to you. You see, for you, you think the wrong that's been done to me just fills me with shame and God's away. No, God is angrier than ever you could be about the wrong done to you. And the mess in your life and the mess in my life, this is what he says, he sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. He hates sin, but he loves you. At our Connect group, which is the small groups that meet in the week, this week we were talking about this and, and Alison, my wife, talked about um, uh, when she goes on a walk around our estate, she's often listening to music and often uh, at a certain point in it, she'll pray for our estate and for the people in that and she'll put on the, uh, in, her, in her ears that, that song, The Blessing. And she'll just speak that over people because that song, The Blessing, if you know it, is basically about God saying, I'm for you, I'm for you. 
You know, I, I, as I pray every Sunday when I come across, I pray the blessing prayer over the businesses and the community of, of our town of Hal Zoen and beyond. And I just say, God is for you, business guys. God is for you, communities. God is for you, families. God is for you. And I don't think we fully understand that. But not only is God for you, but God's, God likes you, guys. Hello? God likes you. You know, I used to think as a Christian growing up in church, God loves me because He has to. It's like on His job description, but He doesn't want to. And yet it says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 5, He loves us in accordance with His pleasure and His will. I love that. God not only loves you, but God likes you. Number three, God delights in you. Starting to squirm yet? Some of us are starting to squirm maybe. God is not only for you, God likes you. God delights in you. And I love this, this um, verse, a few verses from the Old Testament. Zephaniah, you know it very well, some of you. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He delights in you. And, and I love this verse so much. And a few years ago, I was in Albania and we were, I was speaking at a youth conference, believe it or not. Um, I know. And at the end, one of the guys had said before this one night, he said, I really feel that at the end, he said, I think we should uh, give a response for people to come to receive the Father heart love of God again. And this is going to sound a little bit weird, okay? And it sounded weird to me as well. So, but I believe we should take our towel out of our hotel rooms. And I believe that as they come through, because I was speaking actually on the prodigal son and the father and all that, we should take the towel as the robe and we should wrap it around someone and pray for them. And it felt a little bit spooky and a little bit weird to me. But I went with it. And I have to say, it was one of the most powerful moments I've ever been in. Because in that culture, especially men, there were a, there's a whole absence of fathers, and actually, as we began to speak and as we began to pray, and then at the end, as literally hundreds came out to the front and as we wrapped a towel around them and they broke in tears and we were able to pray the blessing of God over their lives, it reminded me so much, God delights in us. God delights in us. I love that, don't you? God doesn't just, He's not just for you. He doesn't just like you. He delights in you. Number four, God sings over you. You know, God sings over you. It says that in that verse that we just looked at. God sings over you. There was a song that um, came out in the 90s, a worship song, very simple song, a delirious song, Cutting Edge, I think it was, before Delirious. And it literally says, I could sing of your love forever. And I've sung that song hundreds of times. And, uh, and that whole, I could sing of your love forever. I remember being really challenged and, and, and encouraged when I felt God say, and I could sing of yours as well. So as much as you could sing of my love forever, do you know what? I could sing of your love. There's that idea of God singing over us. And then number five, God desires you. God desires you. And again, some of you, especially if you're guys, you might be squirming a little bit. Nothing, but I love, as many of you know, and Alison has told me I've got to stop, keep doing this, okay? But I'm going to do it today and then I'll, I promise I'll never do it again. I'm a, such an obsessive, besotted granddad, Okay. My little granddaughter, honestly, the joy in my life, I cannot explain to you. And there's two things that she does, Tally, that absolutely move my heart. And the one is where she just kind of reaches her arms up to me to pick, to pick her up, okay? And often when she sees me, she'll just walk to me and she just reaches for me to pick her up. The other thing is when she rests her head on my shoulders and just stays there. And in those moments of just deep joy that I've been receiving, I felt God speak to me to say, that's exactly how I feel, Leon, when you reach for me. That's exactly how I feel when you rest in me and on me. 
I don't want your stuff. I don't want your performance. I don't want your output. I just want you. When I look at Tally there and come there, I don't say, right now, Tally, learn some new words. And, and what about your seven times table? You know, d- deliver something. I just want to be with her. And that reaching and holding and that resting and embracing, that's the desire, isn't it? And that's a tiny amount of desire that's in the heart of God for you and for me. And so I want to say to you guys, if life is tough for you right now, if life is complex right now, if life is complicated right now, why don't you just spend some time reaching for Him? Why don't you just spend some time resting on Him? Because He desires that with you. He desires you. He doesn't want what you can do. He just wants you. God desires you. You know, it says that Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus went to the cross and it says He did it for the joy set before Him. What was the joy set before Him? The joy set before Him was relationship with you and me. The joy set before Him was so that we could reach and that we could rest and that we could be in relationship with Him. And I know that I need that in my life so much because that's how I'm created. That's the original settings that God has created us to be in relationship with Him. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him intimately. And all of that culminates in kind of me saying this statement that I want to say over you today. God loves you. God loves you. Other people don't. Other people have let you down. Other people have broken your heart. God loves you. And God loves you with an almost, like we sing, a reckless, like, like, like irrational kind of love. And, and, it, and it's not reckless, but it appears that. And it appears irrational, uh, but it's not because it's out of the heart of God. And what happens is that you and I, we continue to try and earn points with someone who's not keeping score. Gerald Coates, the famous English preacher said, God is not disillusioned with you. I've said this many times because he had no illusions about you in the first place. And you and I have got this illusion and we're trying to keep score with God and he's, not, he's given that up ages ago. He said, listen, listen any score to be settled was settled with Jesus on the cross. I just love you and I just want to be in relationship with you. So I want to encourage you today. Let's stop trying to be good enough. Let's stop trying to earn it. Let's just reach and rest. Let's ask God to reset that love in our life. You know, Paul says in Romans 5, you know when Christ died for you? Do you know when Christ died for you? While you were still sinners, while you were still in a mess, while you were still messed up and broken, whilst you were still holding on to that, whilst you were still doing that, not when you've got it sorted, but in the middle of it. And that's amazing, isn't it? That God loved us and did His best for us in Jesus, not when we got everything worked out, but while we were still in a mess. And the same God that loved us while we were still in our mess is the same God that still loves us while we are still in our mess right now. He loved us in our mess and He loves us in our mess. We love up to a limit. God loves up to the end. And before we think next week about what does it look like to live that love out, let's spend a bit of time together in God's presence, receiving again His incredible love. And why? Because you matter to God. There is an assault right now on mental health and especially on the mental health of men and young men. And on Friday, I heard of a really, really good friend of mine whose son who I know took his own life last week. This lad has got two young kids. So my friend is a granddad like me. We've talked about it many times. 
and I know that there is a demonic attack, an absolute assault on the mental health of people right now, especially men. And I think somewhere within all of this, we need to ask God, don't we? To give us such a revelation of the fact that we matter to Him, that we're loved by Him, that whatever is going on in our lives, He's not absent, but He's present. And He is able to change things and circumstances. And even when they don't, He's able to give us the strength that we need to get through. And I don't know who I'm talking to here in the room and online as well, but I know this. There are many of us who suffer in silence. Not just men, but women as well. There are many of us who, who try to go about our lives, trying to please God and please other people. And, and we're crying out desperately just to know that we matter to God and that we count and that we're loved. And I wanna tell you, I wanna stand on this stage today and not get all dramatic and theatrical, but just to declare, we need to wage war on this mental health assault on our generation on our young people and not so young people who think and feel that there's nowhere else to go other than the worst things imaginable. And we need to say, God, would You give us the grace and give us the strength and give us the words and give us the tools and give us the ability to stand in the gap and to be people that declare that God is for you, that God is with you, that God loves you, that God delights in you, that God sings over you, that God pours out His grace and His love and His mercy out over you when you feel unworthy and unloved and unlovable and full of shame and guilt and pain, that God still loves you. And your mess doesn't cause Him to go away. Your mess causes Him to go towards you. And there's nothing greater in the heart of God that when you reach up your arms to reach for Him or when you rest on Him, there's nothing that brings greater joy and pleasure to the heart of God than that. And if you don't know that's true, you can. You really can. And you know, maybe you don't know God yet. Maybe you're watching or you're here in the room and, and you've never come into a relationship with God. We'd love to op open that up with you. And we run something here called Alpha and it starts, our next Alpha course starts a week on Monday night, the 27th of September. It's just one evening online. You can sign up for that one evening. It's like an hour or something. And you'll meet some other people and watch a bit of a video and have some conversation. And if it's not for you, then don't come again. It's free, it's cost you nothing other than an hour on Zoom. And you can sign up by this link that's coming up on our website right now, or you can text LCC Alpha to 60777 in your name. Text LCC Alpha, your name to 60777. But you know, it also might be that there are some people here in the room or online, and you're desperate to know that you're not on your own right now. We would love to pray for you as well. In fact, I'm gonna pray for you in a minute. But if you want one of our team to pray specifically for you, then again, just follow the link uh, that's coming up on the screen and we'd love to pray for you. Can I invite you in the room to stand for a moment? I wasn't planning on saying any of that that I've just said, okay? I just really felt stirred as I just heard and watched again that thing. You matter to God, you matter to God. And I don't know where there's one person, one person here or watching who needs to hear that 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 could be the difference for you. Just to know that you matter to God, that God loves you. And I wanna read something out over all of you. And I, I read this many years ago. In fact, I've used it at weddings from time to time, but I think it's bit much bigger than a wedding. And, and, and it's written by Max Licado, who's, who's a great author. And as I read this out over you, I wanna speak it out over you. And I wanna ask God to almost like, kind of speak it into your life. And you wouldn't just hear it up here and in your ears, but you'd hear it in here 
Do you know what I mean? Hear it in your heart. So God loves you simply because He's chosen to do so. He loves you when you don't feel lovely. He loves you when no one else loves you. Others may abandon you, divorce you, ignore you, but God will love you always, no matter what. God loves you personally, powerfully and passionately. Others have promised and failed, but God has promised and succeeded. He loves you with an unfailing love and His love, if you will let it, can fill you and leave you with a love worth sharing with others. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, I wanna pray for every single person here in this room, those watching online, those in Hagley and wherever they are. God, may we receive again this incredible love today. Holy Spirit, I feel so inadequate to say this. Only You can do it. Change our hearts, God, where our hearts have grown hard, where we've forgotten what it's like to be loved by a God who is, who is love. God, would You love us again? God, may we receive that love again. May we know that we matter. May we know that You know us and You love us in our mess and in our unloveliness and in our brokenness and in our sin. You still love us. And God, now as we worship You, as we sing this incredible poetic song, all the vivid imagery in this song is nothing compared to the reality of Your love for us. And God, may we know how much You love us. And as we have been loved by You, may we love others in that kind of way. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Lord, help us to be loved by you. And then, and then we'll have a love worth sharing. In Jesus' Name, Amen.